It's Wednesday night, and we are in a series on the life of Peter. We get down to Acts 2.38. He has been speaking in Glossa and Dialectos. They wrote, they translated it tongues. Well, that's a terrible, that's a terrible translation. Glossa and Dialectos. Dialectos is the word dialect. And glossa is the word foreign language. Foreign language. A glossary is a section of a book with words that are foreign to to most readers. You look up in that area of a book in the glossary and you'll find out what those words mean. This has nothing to do with Pentecostalism. I'm going to move right straight to the verse that we're talking about. Acts 2.38. This, this is... The setting of this is Pentecost. This is 50 days after the Passover. And uh, the men that are listening, there's 3,000 believers, 3,000 believers at Pentecost. Uh, the the compendia, C-O-M-P-E-N-D-E-I-A, is a set of books. I've got 11 volumes of it. They're supposed to put a different volume out every couple of three years and I haven't even checked on them so long but the first two volumes are the Jews in the first century volume one and two Jews in the first century first century volume one and two one and two and they will tell you that this is a collaboration between the Jews and Christian believing uh, scholars This is a collaboration on the history of Israel and the things that they did and and the everyday figures of speech, the culture, the customs, the idioms, what they did, what it meant. Very magnificent books. Very expensive too, may I say. And they will tell you. Now the Bible says 3,000 believed at Pentecost. These are the ones that are convicted, their hearts are convicted. The compendious says there was a probably could have been as many as 12 million people there. And that's because all the males had been given laws in Exodus 23 and several other places that all the males had to come back to Israel every year for the three major feasts in Israel. Passover, Pentecost, 50 days later, 50 days. Passover was in Nisan, March, April. And if you'll notice, this is the, this is the season of the crops. Crops. And that had to do with the covenant of God. God telling them, telling Israel, I will multiply your crops. You'll have, uh, you'll I'll fill up your fields. The crops will be rich I'll fill up your storehouses your babies will be born healthy and this is the promise of God and you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways and it won't matter how many there are that happened several times well they all had to come back to Pentecost every year they had been scattered because while they were a nation under judges and kings while they were a nation, they had gone after all these other gods, Baal, Grof, Shemash, Molech, uh, just all the gods of Egypt and the gods of the Syrians and so forth. 
So God scatters them. But these laws still apply that they have to come back. So they're scattered all over the world. I, I got this out of the compendia, this map right here. This is a compendia map right here. Shows all the Jews coming back from all over the world for these three feasts. And yet they'd been scattered five to seven hundred years and they couldn't understand each other because they weren't speaking the Hebrew language. They were speaking the dialect of the Greek where they were born. Peter's preaching to them. They get very convicted, these 3,000. This is all that's convicted about what he's saying. That's not a very good percentage. It's one out of every 4,000 that's there that gets convicted. Now let's read that here in verse 37. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have to know the definitions there. He's not saying be dipped in water. Not at all. I've already stated this, but baptize, baptize comes from two words, baptizo and bapto. Now, this is not something I made up. McClinic and Strong under baptism will tell you this. Mr. Girdlestone, Robert Baker Girdlestone, one of the great scholars for the last 500 years, will tell you that these two words, that these two words uh, were not a verb. They weren't verbs in the original text. They were an infinitive. That's what baptizo was. It was an infinitive. That is a noun. And it has verbal character. Verbal character. What do you mean by that? Well, it was a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. And they will either be masculine, feminine, or neuter gender. A thing is neuter. A, a woman is female, feminine. A male, a man is male. This is, it has verbal character. That means that the fluid flows on the individual the individual is not dipped into it. I've got a book here by a man named Harry Boltima. This is an amazing man. He says a lot of the same things I say, and he says it before I ever read his book, the same things that I've been saying for years. I'm astounded at it. He says that on, uh, on page 26... He talks about baptism. He says, uh, if you were walking through the street and you were a Jew before Jesus was nailed to the cross, he said, and you brushed against Gentiles, you were considered unclean and you had to be washed. Then he turns around and says, a violent death was baptism. That's exactly what Mr. Strong says and Mr. Girdlestone says. Baptism was blood not water 
Doesn't the Bible speak of water baptism? I got to keep reminding you. The Pharisees were the, before the first century, the Pharisees of the synagogue, they were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue in Babylon. When Israel was was scattered by the Lord, by the Babylonians and by the Assyrians, and they end up in Babylon, they say, we've got to have a way of worshiping God. They didn't have the temple over here. The Ark of the Covenant had been carried away, so they organized the synagogue. Synagogue is a Babylonian system. It's not righteous at all, no matter where it is. The one out here on West End is not righteous. And they translated they translated the Old Testament over into the Babylonian Aramaic. And when they did it, that was called the Targum. And they ended up with two... It was a long time in developing. started off as a midrash, which means story. Midrash, and then developed into the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was here at the time of Christ. Mishnah, because that is the that's the system of the Pharisees. And then later on it developed into the Talmud about 200 A.D. And in the meantime, it had two parts to it. It had Halakha and the Haggadah. The Halakha was... was a verbal law that could not be written down. You couldn't write it down. And it was, and they said what they did to get the halakha, as they were translating from Hebrew to the Aramaic, the rabbis said, we have to explain what these words mean and what these statements mean in the Old Testament. So they had what they called a methurgeman, M-E-T-H-U-R-G-E-M-A-N. And a methurgeman was an interpreter. So they just went in there, read something out of this targum, simply added their opinion and said, this means this. That's where they come up with proselyte baptism. What they did, they would take the law. They, with proselyte baptism, here's what they came up with. This was the method of becoming a, an, is a Jew. It was a naturalization process. You know what a naturalization is, don't you? You know what that means? Um, becoming a citizen that's what it means and the way you could become a citizen if you lived in another land if you lived if you were a Gentile which everything that's not a Jew is a Gentile and you were living over here in Greece you could come to Israel but you had to give up everything in Greece your home, your house, your property everything come to Israel and swear allegiance to a Jehovah God in Israel and you had to undergo 
three things. Now, two of these three things was in the law. It was in the law over here. And one of the last of the three things was kind of in the law. (laughs) What do you mean by that, Jim? Well, they had to be circumcised. That's the law. But that was before the law because that's what God told Abraham in the 17th chapter of Genesis before they had a law, before long before Moses. Moses around 1450 B.C. Abraham is 2100 B.C., so that's 600 years before Moses. So circumcision was implemented in the law. And they also had to offer two turtle doves. That's also in the law. So that's okay that they had that in their proselyte process. Now, they also had, you had to be washed in water. They called that a new birth. Now, where did they get that? They got that from the temple and the priest would have to go to the, you had the brazen sea down here and the altar, the brazen altar, you had inside the golden candlesticks, the table, the golden table of showbread, the golden altar. Anytime the Bible says golden altar, you'll know it means this. This is brazen, brass altar. Some say it may have been copper. So if it says gold altar, it's always this one. You'll see that in Revelation 8 chapter where the Bible will speak of the golden altar. It's talking about this. Then you had the Ark of the Covenant, and that was gold. So these are gold in here. These are brass. What they did with this washing in water... The priest would have to come to the brazen sea every morning. They called it a sea because it holds several thousand baths for the priesthood. They'd come here and wash all over every morning. Then they'd go to their various prescribed sacrifices. They had all kinds of sacrifices. They had to have seven bullocks killed to purify the priesthood and to purify the outer sanctuary. Well, they would go through their prescribed sacrifices they would come back here to this brazen sea and wash their hands and feet that's where foot washing comes from wash hands and feet and they got that they brought that foot washing in well the the rabbis they took this washing here implemented it into the proselyte process. So when Jesus goes to John the Baptist and he says, let's fulfill all righteousness, what he's saying is, let's fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees so they'll have to shut their mouths. And they said, if a man would go through all of this, they would have to listen to him. You see, Jesus was from Nazareth. That's in the land of Zebulun up here. It's northern Israel. The Pharisees wouldn't step foot into northern Israel. They said that was filth up there. Nazareth was considered 
just the sludge of the world. That's why Bartholomew or Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Jesus said, I heard what you said. Now, and Jesus said, he's an honest man. Now, we're talking about baptism. What is he? Everybody wants to talk about baptism started where? Where's the first baptism in the Bible? In the garden. In the garden. Baptize means to cover. That is the word baptizo. Means to cover. Now I've already given you a lot on this. If I skip something, I'll come back to it. Bapto means to stain as if to die. In fact, Mr. Girdlestone and Mr. Strong say that these two words was a household term that women used to dye clothes. It was a word they used to stain and dye clothes. So, the first baptism, let's look at that. Look over at Genesis, the third chapter. This says it so lightly, you don't even stop and think that this is baptism. You don't, if you're not careful, you don't even stop and pay any attention to it because it's just, it is just a, sometimes the most important words are just little shortly mentioned in the Bible. Look at in Genesis, the third chapter. All right. Genesis 3. Now, Adam and Eve both partake of the tree. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons to hide themselves. Isn't that amazing? When man wants to hide his sin, he does the works of his hands. That's what he does. The Lord said to Israel, You've worshipped the works of your hands. And this is the works of their hands. And they said, it goes on here. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called Adam and said unto him, where are you? It's not like he was lost. And he didn't know where he was. He's wanting to know, where are you spiritually? What he's wanting to know. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, this doesn't say the next verse, what preachers say it says. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Now, if the living God looks down at you and says, who told you you were naked? You're going to pass the buck? I don't think so. He didn't pass the buck. He's standing there trembling say. The woman that you gave to me, she told me I was naked. So nakedness has to do with baptism. We have to be covered, don't we? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave it to me, and I did eat. Now, let's go further in the chapter. Now go over here unto... 
Verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, which means the mother of all living. There were no people here in the first, in the original creation. The first man and woman was Adam and Eve. I don't care what people say. Eve means the mother of all living. You remember we talked about Sabbath Eve, and Friday was called the mother of the Sabbath, and it was called Sabbath Eve because it mothered the Sabbath going into the Sabbath. Friday did. And Adam also said to his wife, also, unto Adam also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. That's the first baptism. He had to kill some animals, didn't he? And cover them with the blood. There's baptism right there. It started in the garden. Now, where's the next baptism? Go over here to Genesis. Go over here to Genesis 6. Genesis 6. And God is giving Noah instructions concerning the ark. He found that the people upon the earth were evil. God says, I'm... I'm going to destroy man, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in verse 8. Noah found grace. People say they were saved different in the Old Testament. No, they weren't. Over there in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the Bible says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Noah was saved by grace through faith. Same way we are. He was picked out by God, and God said, no, and he'd say, yes, sir. It wasn't a time of calling upon him or praying a sinner's prayer. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before the Lord. The earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. All, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come, upon, is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. That's a type of wood that will not rot. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch the ark within and without with pitch. There's the second baptism. Pitch. First word pitch is a is a verb. If you look in your concordance, it'll give you the same number for both these words, but they're not. You'll have to look in your interlinear Bible. Pitch with pitch. You look at the first word. It is a verb. Shows action. The second word pitch is a noun. The first word pitch is the word kafar. Ah, we recognize that word, don't we? The exact same word as atonement. The same word. 
It's the same word as reconciliation. You remember in the 70 weeks of Daniel? In the 70 weeks of Daniel, God says there are six things he has to do and there has to be reconciliation for iniquity. That word reconciliation in Daniel 9.24 is the word kafar. When Jacob is coming back from, it means to cover. When Jacob is coming back from the land of Haran, and he is terrified going over there to meet his brother Esau because he had lied to him, stolen his birthright, and he ran off to the land of Haran, got him two wives, got uh, got two wives, and he's got 11 kids coming back. He does, his 12th is not born till they get to Bethlehem, and that's Benjamin. And when he's born, Rachel dies. Rachel and Leah is Jacob's wife. Those are the, the, the daughters of his mother's brother. He married his cousins. Now, he's coming back here, and when he comes back, he's scared to death of Esau. He lied to Esau. He lied to his father. And in the 28th chapter of Genesis, he runs for his life, running away from Esau. It's at least 20 years later. He's got this great big herd of cattle and sheep. And what he does, he puts his lesser wives' sons, his his wives' Uh, secondary wives, concubines, and sends them ahead with their children. There's a whole bunch of them. And then he has Leah with her children come in second. And he has and he has him and Rachel bringing up the rear with all these sheep and all these cattle. The Bible says that he wants to cover the face or he wants to appease his brother. He wants to appease his brother, appeases the word kafar. He wants to cover his faith with all of these things that goes before him. Perhaps he will appease him, and he will not be so mad he won't kill me and all my family when I get back. Boy, Jacob was a scoundrel sometimes. Isn't it wonderful that God can save sinners like Jacob? Because that's God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And he comes to Esau there in the thirty second chapter of Genesis, and he says, I I just he said Esau said, My brother Jacob grabbed him and hugged him. Jacob couldn't believe that. Just wow. Probably didn't say that. They didn't say that back then. But he said, and Esau said, what are all these cattle? He said, they're for you, my Lord. He said, I have plenty. You keep them. That's amazing. And that word of peace is the word kafar. He wanted to cover his face with the gift that went before him. Now, there's another place the next time. This is really important where baptism is. Let's go over here to the Leviticus, the 16th chapter. The 16th chapter of Leviticus is 
the Day of Atonement. The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. The seventh month is Tishri. That's our month, September, October. And this is where you have two goats. You've got the one to be offered on the altar. And then you have the scapegoat that they take out into the wilderness. They lay the hands of the priest upon the scapegoat. And he has to bear the sins of all the people. And they run him out in the wilderness. Nobody really knows what happened. Some say that he was driven off of a cliff. But he couldn't come back to the camp. I've got a lot to sell on that. Can't go there right now. But he couldn't come back to the camp. But they offered the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And the priest could go in there once a year. Once a year. And he would come in on the 10th day of the 7th month. Go through this 8-inch veil. And sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant seven times with the blood of the goat not the blood of a lamb when the Bible says God hath made him to be sin for us God hath made him a goat in our place so the blood of the goat is sprinkled seven times on the ark of the covenant there's another baptism in the fifth chapter of second kings there's a man, Naaman. He's a Syrian general. He goes down to talk to Elisha, who's the prophet in Israel. Elisha says to him, You want to be cleansed of this leprosy? You go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. He's going, Why do I have to dip in the Jordan River? That is a filthy river. I've got plenty of clean rivers up there in Syria. Why can't I go dip in one of those? He said, dip seven times in the filthy river. And when he goes and dips seven times, leprosy is always a picture and a type of sin. These are all pictures of baptism. Leprosy is a picture of type of sin. And the seven times, you remember seven in the Hebrew is the word Sheba. And all through the book of Revelation, seven is a prominent number. Sheba, and it comes from the word Shabua, S-H-E-B-U-A-H. And that means when you go through all these trials, that means you are taking an oath to God. Or it means two seven oneself now let's look back over here at Leviticus the 16th chapter 16th chapter Leviticus so when Naaman was dipped seven times in the Jordan he was cleansed we have to be seven the Lord said Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith, and he names seven things. We have to be sevened. Seven is always the number of the refined church, and 12 is the number of the total church. I don't have time to go into numbers, or I would. So he says here in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, 
Here's the picture of baptism right here. Speaking of taking this goat to the altar, verse 18, chapter 16, and he shall, he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about and he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he had made the end of reconciling, the word reconcile is the word kafar. Same word. You also have the word reconcile in the New Testament. It's also, it's a word katalage, but it is the same thing as kafar in the Hebrew. And he made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. He shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. This shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and that is the scapegoat the one that's going to take the sins off away from Israel now so pitch the ark within and without with pitch the second word pitch is kofir this is amazing there in Genesis 6.14 kafar means to cover all over and kofir means to stain as if to die has the exact same meaning pitch with pitch as baptizo with bapto same meaning Doesn't, now that there's a verse that confuses a lot of people it's over in first peter we'll go over there in a minute most people don't know that that this pitch was a something called bitumen b-i-t-u-m-e-n it was the color of henna I had a lady that was a hairdresser used to come here she said I know what henna is I've dyed hair red with henna it was a henna color red and it was asphalt in its natural state Some say it came out of trees. Some say it came out of the ground in the form of like a, like volcanic uh, eruption. Some say it was, we don't know exactly, but we know that it what it did, it sealed the ark. So the ark wouldn't sink. And it was red. This will take us over to 1 Peter. This has been one of the most confusing verses. All You've got to evaluate every word you're reading. Let's look over there. 1 Peter. The third chapter. I'll get over in a minute. 
All right. All right. First Peter, the third chapter. Speaking of the spirits in prison, which were the Gentiles, prison, Fulake, P-H-U-L-A-K-E. Fulake means the division of day and night and light and dark. We've talked about that. All through the book of Isaiah, the Lord says he's going to bring the Gentiles to the light. He's going to bring them out of darkness to the light. All the Gentiles. Well, they were the spirits in prison. They were in darkness over here from Adam until Acts 2, right after Jesus resurrects from the dead. Fifty days before they had slain him on a cross. Now look here. This has bothered some people. Now we said that when Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, I have a baptism to be baptized. He said, I baptize with water that comes from one after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. I'm going to repeat this so we can see it clear. Holy Ghost and fire. Ghost is the same word as spirit. Pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A. We get our word pneumonia from that. That's a breathing problem in our lungs. I know all about that. Pneuma and fire is the word per. One of the most popular philosophies of the day was Stoicism. The Stoics. The man who started Stoicism was a man named Zeno. Somewhere in the 4th century B.C., around 320 B.C., And Mr. Zeno said all of the universe, all these planets, all of the stars, they were like a body, like one entity. It's like my body is an entity, and let's just say one of the molecules in my finger was our solar system. It had the sun and the and the moon and the stars and Jupiter and and Uranus, and Venus, and so forth. It was just our solar system. They said it was, he said it was a living entity. It was like a being. And he said what gave that being, which he called the cosmos, and we call it C-O-S-M-O-S, and when you look it up, it means orderly arrangement. I had a guy arguing with me at the prison one night. It don't mean orderly arrangement. Well, he certainly does. If you will look up in your dictionary, cosmetic, it will tell you it comes from the Greek word cosmos. When a woman puts on her face or makeup, she puts an orderly arrangement on, doesn't she? You've got all kinds of words that come from that. Cosmos, cosmetic. You have other words I won't go into right now. 
when the Bible says, let a woman adorn herself in modest apparel, the word adorn is a form of cosmos. So it means an orderly arrangement. Well, what Mr. Zeno said gave this great orderly arrangement life was Numa and Pur. So everybody knew what that was about. Now, I'm going to say this again. I can't get over this. Just utterly astounds me. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water. He's talking about a proselyte baptism. That's all, a, that's all the water was. He said, I baptize with this proselyte process because everybody's wanting Israel to restore itself, but they can't because they're being ruled by Rome. So they can't break loose, so we can do a spiritual thing and have you become a member of the kingdom of God by going through this proselyte process. The ten northern tribes were lost. They, they were not available. They, they call them the ten lost tribes because they never came back from the captivity. Only southern Judah received the decrees to come back and rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city. Northern Israel was out there somewhere. And northern Israel was ruled by Ephraim, the second-born son of Joseph. And Joseph received the inheritance. And the Jews said if the one that possessed the inheritance wasn't home, nobody was home. So as far as the Jews were concerned, nobody was home in the first century. Only Judah, out of Judah would come the king, and Benjamin would back from the captivity in the time of Jesus and the time of the New Testament. <clears throat> now, where do I want to go from here? All right. Where was I? I was talking about something. Yeah. John was doing a proselyte baptism. Here's what bothers me more than anything else about this baptism thing. More than anything. Other than the fact that baptize was an infinitive. But this bothers me more than anything. John says, I baptize with water. A proselyte process. And Jesus who comes after me will be baptizing with Holy Ghost and fire. Which meant life. And everyone knew that. When John goes, when Jesus goes to John the Baptist in Matthew the third chapter, Jesus hadn't started his ministry yet. He goes out into the wilderness in chapter four, and he starts preaching in chapter five in northern Galilee, on a mountainside. Chapter five begins ministry. <clears throat> five, six, and seven is called the sermon. On the mount. And he just rips. Rips. The Pharisees for their halakha. And he starts and preaches all the way through the gospels. Then it gets at the end of the gospels. They crucified Jesus. He resurrects from the dead. He goes to see his apostles in Galilee, in northern Galilee, and 
the Pharisees would be caught dead there. And he goes to him, walks through a wall in a building. I don't know how he did it. Poof, he's there. And he gives them the great commission in Matthew 28, 18, 19. This utterly astounds me that no preacher has ever seen this. I'm just going, what is wrong with you guys? And he tells them to go into all the world and baptize. And how in the world could he be talking about going and dipping people one in water when he had a baptism of his own, which is life? I cannot even grasp that. You understand what I'm saying? How could he be saying go and dip in water? Besides the definition of the word in, E-I-S, means into, but it doesn't mean to come out of there in Matthew, the 28th chapter, and 18 and 19 verse. How could he be saying that? He's telling them to go into all the world, teach all nations, and baptize them with life, with the Holy Ghost and fire. He wouldn't come up and say, remember that baptism John said I had? You can ignore that. And the only people that want to get a hold of it is the Pentecostals and they're nuts. They say baptize the Holy Ghost is jumping up and down and whooping and talking in tongues and that's crazy. So the Baptists don't want nothing to do with it because the Pentecostals got a hold of it. A blood baptism was a death. That's what it was. Now, I got to go over here to second to First Peter. <clears throat> Speaking of the spirits in prison, which is the Gentile church, which sometime were disobedient. That's then verse twenty. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, one hundred twenty years he was in building that ark. While the ark was a preparing wherein few, there's that word, holy gods, a puny number were saved out of the world. If eight people were saved, Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives, how many do you think is going to be saved at the end of time? Few are going to find the narrow way. Few. Not many. There's no such thing as a mega church preaching the truth. Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, predestination is true, and God doesn't love everybody. Not many people are going to want to hear that. So if you have a family that don't want it, welcome to the world of Christianity in, in the 2018. So he says, few, that is eight souls were saved. It doesn't say by water. The water did not save them. The water was the judgment of God. Water was judgment. It says they were saved dia through water. What was the baptism of the ark? It wasn't water. It was the pitch. Kept the water out. The water was a judgment. I 
don't know why preachers don't see that and know that. Because they don't study the pitch. Huh? It's a terrible translation. Dia means through. They were saved through the judgment of God. And so are we. Aren't they sent from water? Huh? It says they were saved by water, but it means through. The like figure, the same way, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us through the judgment of God, by the pitch of the ark, by the being covered with the stain or die. That's what it means. I don't care whether any preacher likes it. I don't care whether John MacArthur likes it. I don't care. If, certainly don't care if Charles Stanley likes it. That's what it means, you guys. What's the matter? You, you, they're afraid to listen to somebody tell them the truth. They're going to have to change their Baptist doctrine and get rid of that Baptist and put in a coat, coat closet instead. That's all it'd be good for is for the preacher to keep his coat in while he's preaching. Baptism doth also not save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not washing off sin off your body. But the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our mortal body. See that word resurrection? Anastasis is the word. It's not talking about the resurrection, the little resurrection of Christ. Anastasis is feminine gender. We are the wife, the bride of Christ, and we die daily. And resurrection means to come to life after dying by the resurrection of Jesus Christ in us because we die daily. And that's baptism. But you can't baptize yourself, and ain't no preacher can baptize you. The blood of Christ has to fall. Even Mr. Boltima says this. He said, it's the movement of the fluid, not a movement of the individual. The blood has to come upon us, and that shows you the sovereignty of God. Jesus baptizes whoever he wills to baptize, doesn't he? If you'll stop and pay attention to the little bitty words, you'll see something in the Bible you haven't seen. And define all the words. I don't believe in dipping people in water. I was dipped in water about seven or eight times. About four or five of them by my father. Each time I'd walk the aisle and try to get saved because he'd say, if you don't know tonight and if you don't know you're going to die in your sin and go to hell, Jimmy. (laughs) So I kept walking the aisle and he kept, Jimmy, that last baptism don't count. Now you got to go back in the baptistry again. He baptized me in Luke Fodder Creek out in Oklahoma. That's an Indian name for a creek. It was close to the country church where he was. He baptized me so many times. I don't even remember. And I felt stupid. I had to grow up, study the Bible, and find out that belief, faith, belief is the verb, faith is the noun form, that I had to believe by faith in Jesus, and that's what saved me. But I... My father started preaching in 1949. All through the 50s, I was walking the aisle. He putting up tents and and putting out these death threat messages. And, and in 1947, I was a little kid standing out in front of a church. 
looking up at the sky. I'd just come out of a Methodist church, and they preached hellfire and damnation, not like Methodists today. And I was standing out there looking up at the sky and saying, Jesus, I want to come be with you someday. I remember that like it was yesterday. I don't know if I was believing God before that, but there's one thing for sure. You can't call on a God that you don't believe in. And I was believing in 1947 at eight years old. And my father got me so confused. That is an oppression of baby lambs to tell them, how do you know you're saved? That is, if you worry about whether you're saved or not, you're a believer. It's only the outer man that can worry about whether you're a believer or not. A man that doesn't have an inner man and has no new birth doesn't worry about nothing. I'll take my chances. That when one old retired Marine sergeant told me one time, "I'll take my chances with God when I get when I get to the judgment." I say, "You sure will. You don't have any." Now. The answer of a good conscience. Conscience is the word sunidesis. S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. It means to soon. This is the word conscience. Sunidesis. E-I-D-E-S-I-S. It's construction of soon and ido. Ido means to see... See, soon means with or to be bonded with. When we are bonded with Christ, you have to have two witnesses, two witnesses to put a man to death in Israel. We find that over in Numbers, the 35th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter. It takes two witnesses to put a man to death. You got two people in you. You have an outer man. Outer man serves the flesh. This is in Romans, the in Romans, the seventh chapter. Paul said, "I serve this outer man serves the law of the flesh. The inner man serves the law of God. Law of God. What gives you good conscience? This inner man, through fire and trials and persecution." has to cause the outer man in life somewhere to start voting with him. And this is the second witness that self has to die. That's Jewish law. So the good conscience has to do with God causing us to vote with him. And the flesh dying is a blood baptism, isn't it? Blood baptism. So let's read the rest of this. A good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Christ in us every day. That's a blood baptism. People are going to say, doesn't the Bible speak of water? It does, but every time it speaks of... Let me write this down. And the scripture says it's the washing of water by the word. We're saved by being washed in living water. Living water has several titles. 
living water is pure water and it is cold water. What in the world do you mean by that? Cold water. When you study about water in Israel, they didn't have any cold water. It was an arid, hot land. It's You get on down into Arabia, and you get in the same area, say, uh, latitude-wise, that you were in down there in Ecuador. It's hot. They don't have wells. The greatest thing that a man could do for his tribe was dig wells, and they had to be deep. And they called every stream, whether it was in a mountain, whether it was in the the largest streams, the largest rivers in the world are underground. And when they dug Jacob's well in northern Israel, Jesus goes and meets this woman at the well. And he said, if you'll ask me, I'll give you living water and you will never thirst again. And she's thinking in the physical. She looks at Jesus. She said, you don't even have a rope to draw with. How are you going to give me the living water down in the bottom of Jacob's well? And he said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual water, which is the living water, which is the Holy Spirit. He constantly equates living water with the Holy Spirit. Even the Jews called the blood living water. And when we have a blood baptism, we have a Holy Spirit baptism. Blood baptism is death to self. It's a death. If you believe that if you believe that baptism is water, you'll never get to the blood baptism. And everything that a blood baptism is is equal to each other. Self-denial is a blood baptism. David Cross is a blood baptism. That's a blood baptism. Self-denial. Anything that equals dying daily is a blood baptism. Well, how do you get a blood baptism? By telling truth. And the Holy Spirit is truth. Aletheia is the word truth, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. And Aletheia is a construction of lanthano, which means to lie hid or to conceal. And when you see the alpha placed in front of a word as a negative particle, it means to negate the word. Alanthano translates Aletheia, truth. When you tell people the truth, there's no concealing, no covering up the truth, no cover-up. And when you tell people the truth about predestination, God doesn't love everybody, that is a Holy Spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit's truth. The Bible says that over and over. John 14, 15, 16. John 14, 15, 16. John fifteen twenty six, John sixteen thirteen, First John five and six, 
The Spirit is the truth. So the Holy Spirit is truth. The Bible says thy word is truth in John 17, 17. And you tell people the real truth about the word of God, that he doesn't love everybody. Tell them about hell. They're going to go to hell if they don't repent. When you tell truth, that is a blood baptism. That's a Holy Spirit baptism. That's a baptism of the word of God. And that's the washing of water by the word. There in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Now, all right. Now, what about what about Paul? Wasn't Paul baptized in water? So the the conscience, sunetesis, is to see with, and he will cause you to vote with him. If you go through enough trials in life, like I have, you'll be wanting to vote with him that self has to die. And you're going to be wanting to come to a place of saying, Lord, I surrender. I don't want to fight you no more. I don't want to be friends with everybody. I don't want to be popular. I want everybody to like me. That's the, you know, that's the main problem with everybody. We want to be liked. Isn't that it? Don't you like everybody to appreciate what you do and give you a big hand and round of applause for how good you're doing in life and and the awards you get and and how you're and that can come in many many manifestations i like for people to recognize me that i'm good looking that i'm quick witted that i've got that i've got it together and i want them to like my car and my house and my and my jewelry and and i like for them to realize that i'm a cool person you don't need cool you know what cool is it's dumb <laughs> It is dumb. When I was 16 and I had a 51 Ford and it was lowered and it had duels on the back of it and had a bulldoze on the front. Bulldozes just swept over a piece of chrome. And I had my elbow, I had my elbow on the left side and I was cool. I was 16 and stupid. Did you know that? You're dumb when you're cool. Cool is when you think you know something. You don't know nothing. Don't try to be cool with everybody. You should be blunt, truthful, and straight with them. That's all we need. Now, I got so many more things on this. I don't know quite where to go on this. Did you know, just to show you how the truth aligns is real close to a lie, the I'm going to put vampire up here. Vampires in the ancient world were demons. And I'm not talking about Bram Stoker who wrote Dracula. It goes thousands of years before him. They said the way you could keep a vampire at bay and he was a demon and there's no such thing as demons that you had to put a vampire, a demon. Remember, demon, demonion, is self. That's the word demon, self. Jesus said it was self. The way you keep a vampire at bay, according to the, according to Encyclopedia of Religion, Hastings, that, that came out in 1906, 1904, something like that. The way you kept it at bay, you had to put them in a casket. And
and run running water on the top of the casket. What's running water? Living water. The way you keep self at bay and keep self away, you have to have a blood baptism, living water, Holy Spirit, and that drives away self. It's the same, amazing how paganism runs hand in hand with the truth. You know what it is? It is a para doctrine. A lie has to run parallel in order to deceive. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses that are contrary to the doctrines that you have learned. The word contrary, para means parallel. You can't say, well, Cinderella died for your sin and the seven dwarfs is her apostles and Jesus is over here. That's not going to fool anybody. But if you have another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, and that Jesus will let you accept Christ and pray a sinner's prayer, which is not true, and it'll have Christmas, we don't do it that way. Then you don't really, you have a parallel gospel, and that's the most dangerous thing you can have. Something that's near, but not quite on. Para means near. Now people will say, But wasn't Paul baptized in water? No. It looks like it when you read it. Let's go over there to the ninth chapter of Acts. We have to be covered with a stain or die. Are we covered with a stain or die? 1 Peter 1 and 2. Peter... 1 and 2 says, We are elect, chosen, favored. We elect unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood. You wouldn't even know what that meant if I hadn't have said the blood has to come from an outer source in baptism. The sprinkling of blood is the same thing they did to the Ark of the Covenant. They sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant. What is sprinkled over here in the New Testament? Our hearts. Hebrews 10.22 Our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. That's baptism. When you get over here in Ephesians, the 5th chapter, or 4th chapter, and the Bible says that there's one baptism... It has to be one of two things. It has to either be water, H2O, or living water, or the blood of Christ. And when that was said in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 to 55 A.D. We don't know exactly when Paul wrote that epistle, but we do know that Jesus died on a cross around 33 A.D., and when he was nailed to the cross, all the rituals were nailed with him. Water, crackers and grape juice, everything. Well, there were no crackers and grape juice. The rituals of the Passover were nailed to the cross with him. Now, Look over in Acts 9. If you'll stop and pay real close attention, Paul has been converted. Paul has been converted and he's taken 
by Ananias taken to Damascus he's supposed to be going up there to Paul was a mean man before he was converted by God but you notice the Lord didn't say I'd like for you to accept me as your savior while he knocked him down on the road by a great light he just said Paul he said yes Lord why are you persecuting me and he began to believe it wasn't no action on his part look here at verse 1 Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter phonos is the word slaughter It means murder. Paul was murdering Christians. Did that for a living. He was going to Damascus. Against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue that if he found any of this way. How's that for a word? Hodos. Do you realize the narrow way was called a specific way among the heathens Paul spoke of this way this straight and narrow way if they found any of this way whether they be men or women he might bring them bound in Jerusalem and as he journeyed he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying Saul Saul why persecutest thou me And he said, Who art thou, Lord? That's kind of funny. You don't say, Who art thou, Jim? Who art thou, Lord? And he said, The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The pricks were the ox goats. If you kick against them, it's going to hurt you and you're going to go forward anyway. Now, so Ananias comes and gets him. He goes blind. He can't see. Can't talk. And Saul arose from the earth. Verse 8. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. He was three days without sight. He didn't eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, to Ananias, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many this man how much evil he hath done unto thy saints at Jerusalem. He has killed and murdered Christians and Jews. And here he hath authority from the high priest to bind all that call on your name. Are you sure, Lord? But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. He's going to be a missionary to the Gentiles. 
and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that they, thou mayest do two things. Watch what he says. Number one, God sent me here so you could receive your sight. Number one, receive. This is what Ananias is telling telling Saul. Receive sight because you've been blind for three days. Number two, and that you may be filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? These two things. Number two. Filled with Holy Ghost, truth, the Word of God. Right? And when he does that, he's going to go through a blood baptism, isn't he? Now, watch what it says happened. And immediately, number one, there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight and arose and was baptized. One received sight. And was baptized with what? With the Spirit, with truth. He was baptized. Baptized matches up being filled with the Spirit, doesn't it? So, when he was baptized, he was filled with the Holy Ghost, which is truth. And that's not water. Why would God all of a sudden change everything to water? He would not. Now, let's look in another place where Paul is telling about this experience in the 22nd chapter of Acts. He's talking about this experience, and watch what he says. For some reason, when people see baptized, they think water only. That's crazy. If you believe it's water, then you'll never go through the fire and the trials and bear your cross daily, which is the same thing as a blood baptism. Can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? Jesus says to James and John, that's a blood baptism he's talking about. Now look here in the 22nd chapter. Paul is taken in the 21st chapter by a bunch of Jews. The Romans hear this. They come and take him out of their possession. Then Paul says, can I speak to these people? In verse 40 of chapter 21, when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs. This is one of the Roman soldiers, beckoned with his hand unto the people. And when they had made great silence, he spoke unto them in the Hebrew dialect, not Hebrew language. They also had a dialect of the Greek corne in Jerusalem. That's what he's talking to them in. Now, gets on down here. He starts telling the story of when he was struck down 
on the Damascus road. Verse 7, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto thee, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. They couldn't hear. Maybe they just weren't believers. They didn't have hearing ears. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus. There it shall be told thee all the things which are appointed for thee to do. When I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, he's just repeating the story that he originally went through there in the ninth chapter. Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. Number one, right? That's the first thing you do. And the same hour I looked upon him and said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. Where's that second thing? We'll get to it. Thou that knowest his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all the men, all men, that's the Gentiles, synecdoche, of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, number two, arise, anastasis, resurrect, feminine gender, and be baptized and wash away thy sins. How can he wash away his sins with water? He can't. Wash away is the word apoluo. Luo means to wash. Apo means away. How can you wash away sins with water? You cannot. Which can wash away, but you can't wash them away. God can wash them away with blood. Look over here in Revelation. Well, let me read the rest of this. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Look over in Revelation 7. Here's the only other place this word is mentioned. Or not the only other place. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6 11. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 11, and then we'll go over to Revelation. How much time do I have, Mike? All right. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. 6. Eleven. If you don't go to the original words, you're not going to know. The scripture says in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Malak means pedophiles. Nor effeminate. Malak, M-A-L-A-K. 
nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Oh, we. Well, that hurt, didn't it? You think these people are worse than you? Except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. But ye are washed. Apollo. Your sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now go over here to Revelation. Revelation 7. Well, let's go to uh, let's go to Revelation one. L O U O. It's Apoluo comes from Apo and L O U O. L O U O means to wash. Look at Revelation one and verse five. Without a blood baptism, you're not going to heaven when you die. Without death to self, without a daily cross, he that beareth not his cross and followeth after me cannot be my disciple. You can't go to heaven without a daily cross, which is a blood baptism. There has to be death to self somewhere in your life. You can't walk and I'll go to heaven. You have to be dying. You have to be giving up the flesh. Yeah, it's conscience. You have to vote with the inner man that you have to die and give up self. Look here. I don't know why people can't see these things. It's just why people that call themselves Christian, Church of Christ will hate this message. Revelation 1 and 5. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness in the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed luo form of this apoluo he washed us from our sins in his own blood that's what blood is for it's a baptism You can't say, I'm washed in the blood and I'm going to heaven because I accepted Christ. No, you're not. You have to be dying. You have to be giving up self. What does that mean? We talked about that on Sunday morning. You don't give people a hard time. You die to self. You don't get vindication. You don't get revenge. You give up self. You learn to be gentle and kind and tenderhearted to people and firm and honest and straight and blunt. And that comes with old age. You'll get to where you'll say, I'll tell you the truth about this. Don't ask me if you don't want to know. I warn the church, don't ask me if you don't want me to know. If you don't want to know the truth about your situation. If you're living in a situation you shouldn't be in, I'll tell you. But I won't be mad when I say it. So you should be there. Boy, I didn't do that when I was young. I was scared to death to do that. Now, if you're, there's so much more on baptism, I can't get to it all. I wish I could. I got so many things here that I've talked to you about them. I want you to know about them. 
You know, I love the thing about the ark. I bring this up all from time to time. I'm going to put it up here again. The ark looked like a great big red box because it was the pitch. It was red. They were in the ark 370 days. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but they were in the ark 370 days. You can see that. Look over here real quick. In Genesis 9. We'll have to start in chapter 7. All right. All right. I'll get in a minute, y'all. Hold on. My Bible's coming apart. It won't turn. The pages won't turn easy. All right. When they went in the ark, in chapter 9, wait a minute, they're going in the ark in chapter 9, they're coming out of the ark. They're going in the ark in chapter 7, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 17th day of the month, that's when the fountains of the great deep were broken up. In the second month, 17th day of the month, Then you go over here in chapter 8, verse 13. It came to pass in the 601st year of Noah's life, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. That That is 370 days. 370. If you're in an ark with all those stinking animals for 370 days and there's one opening in the ark a little bitty small window and it looks like a box it don't look like a ship looks like a box 300 cubits long 30 high 50 wide it looks like this it looks like a casket what it looks like and that's the only opening just I believe it was three cubits by three cubits. And you got all that urine, all that manure, all that sweat, no air. Would you call that a trial? Boy, I guess so. So a red ark, 370 days, a trial. Trials are is that is what you call a fiery trial. That's the way fiery is spelled. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Three hundred and seventy days in an ark. All through the scripture, when you find trials, they're always what? They're always fire is the color of yellow. When you mix red with yellow, what do you get? Orange. 
Orange is a Latin word, arum, A-R-U-W-M. Arum in the Latin is gold. The triangular faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. That's what we have to, what will happen in your life, you will become gold at the end of the trials in the blood of Christ. Do I think that's an accident? No. Now, I've got so much more on this, I can't get to it all. I've got to get to the living water. Look over here in Hebrews. I'll just go ahead and give you this as long as I'm here. If baptism is water, concerning this message tonight, just never mind. You don't need this. Over here, and everything in the Old Testament was a shadow, and the New Testament is the very image. We are the, we're the temple of God. That was the, that was Herod's temple. Or that was Solomon's temple. We are the Ark of the Covenant. Is our hearts, because the Scripture tells us here in Hebrews ten, we enter in to the holy of holies by a new and living way. The word way is hodos. There in verse nineteen, chapter ten of Hebrews. By a new living way for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. The veil is his flesh. This veil right here is the flesh of Christ. The flesh is the bread. The bread is the body. The body is the church. And this inner sanctuary is called the house of God because he came down and dwelt between the cherubim. He built a house between the cherubim. And the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled, and then he says it right here. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Christ from an evil conscience. We vote with God, the two witnesses. We wake up one day and we say, I have to die. You don't do that when you're young. Took me a long time. Took God a long time to get a hold of me. It caused me to realize I have to die every day. How do you do that? You just say, I'm going to do the will of God regardless of what people do to me and think about me. You don't go out looking for a fight. You just say, here's the truth. If you want it, okay. And I don't always go charge it into somebody and beat them up and say, you you didn't believe it. Christmas is pagan. No, I don't do that. A lot of times I say, well, I just learned Christmas is pagan. I don't do that anymore. I do it that simple. When you're really dying to self, you don't care what anybody thinks. You get to a place you just don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. Y'all are with me out in public, aren't you? I'll say anything to anybody. Do I say it hard? No. I just say it. We believe in predestination. We believe that God doesn't love everybody. I just say it like that. I'm sure of it. I've got verses to back it up. It don't matter what anybody thinks. That's death to self. You just say it. 
And after a while, people get used to you. And they said, don't, don't, don't say nothing right at him because he'll tell you what he believes. And don't say anything about it. Gosh, for goodness sakes, don't say anything about around Ron. Or, we don't want him sounding off anymore. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Hey, Dave. They don't want you talking. But I'm going to talk anyway. Real gentle, but firm. No compromise. Straight. I'll tell you what it does. It makes you free. I'm free. I've never been this free in my life. I'm always saying stuff to people, and I could care less what they think. I may say, we don't talk like that around here. Just, I'm not condemning somebody. No, we don't cuss around here. You can't do that. If you find that hard to do, the thing about it is the reason you won't do it is you're trying to save your reputation. You're not supposed to be a reputation. You're to be of no reputation. Kenos. Emptied out. And after a while, when you get people get to knowing you as honest and straight, they won't beat around the bush. They'll hide from you. They'll try to get away from you. But they'll know who you are. Without a blood baptism, there is no truth. Paul was not baptized in water. The Bible doesn't even say that, does it? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a form of baptism. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I'll come back next week. And we'll resume this. Lord, thank you for truth. God, help us. I don't know what else to say. Just help us to stand and be plain and be blunt. Lord, I've experienced this thing called blood baptism. I know what it is. You just get to where you don't care anymore about what people are going to think. Help the people to learn that. Help the people here. Fight our battles. We're not going to fight anybody ever again. Thank you for truth. In Christ's name we pray, man. Maybe we're getting a hold of this thing. I got to get to redemption and ransom. It's a type of washing.